Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Awesome. It's so good to see all of you guys here today. Um, Listen, if you are uh, visiting with us today, as always, man, we just want to say thank you for coming and hanging out with us. We recognize that there's a lot of great churches in the area, a lot of wonderful pastors, and so we're pretty humbled and honored that you would come hang out with us. What I want to do is I want to dive right into part three of our current series that's entitled Pray First. Can somebody say Pray First? So for the past two weeks, we have talked in depth about uh, what it means to make prayer a priority in our lives and why it is so important for us to have a designated, quiet place to connect with God. So we have talked about what it means, right, to make prayer a priority in our lives, to actually pray first instead of using it as a last resort. When we talked about why it's so important for us to have a designated, quiet place, uninterrupted places so we can encounter God. So listen, as I've thought about those two essential pieces of prayer over the past couple of days, uh, I couldn't help but to go back to actually my first week of Bible school. And uh, to kind of give you guys a picture, some of you guys have heard the story, but I was 18 years old. Uh, I had only been saved for a short period of time, so I didn't really know a whole lot about the Bible. I didn't really understand a lot about prayer, and I really didn't understand what it, what it meant to be really a Christian, you know, for that matter. So, but anyways, like most schools, the first couple of days was just uh, orientation. You know, they put us all in the room, and the leadership went over the general outline of what the year was going to look like. They talked about expectations, the requirements to graduate, the code of conduct daily schedule and all that exciting stuff, right? But I'll never forget the moment that they actually said, hey, look, guys, we're going to start every single day each morning at 7.30 with an hour of prayer. Now, when they said that, I looked around the room, and it didn't seem like it phased anybody else. But inside, uh, I knew that I couldn't pray longer than three minutes. And and so I kept asking myself repeatedly, what am I going to do for an hour, right? So fast forward a couple of days, listen, as we were instructed, uh, all of us students, we arrived at the church a little bit before 730. Uh, each one of us spread out around the sanctuary. It's a pretty big sanctuary. So we spread out so we could try to find ourselves a private spot to connect with God. And, and I can still vividly remember sitting, uh, you know, on the floor between two pews as worship music played throughout the sound system softly. Uh, you know, I closed my eyes and I started praying everything that I knew how to pray. Right, And when I got done, I looked at my watch and I realized I only have 57 more minutes to go. (laughs) And so I did what any wise man did. I said, you know what, I'm going to pray all that over again. Maybe he didn't hear me the first time. And so I prayed it all over again and I looked at my clock again, 54 minutes to go, right? It didn't improve. So anyway, so I glanced around the room and, and it's, and you know, let me say this, when you glance around the room and you, and you see a whole bunch of other people and they don't look like they're struggling, that sure is a good boost to your confidence right there, right? And so anyway, so I picked up my Bible and I started reading, uh, you know, a couple chapters out of the book of Matthew. And then I said, okay, well, I'll journal a little bit because they, they make us do that. And so anyways, after a bit, I glanced back on my watch. I realized I only have 30 more minutes to go, right? We were, okay, this is great. And so uh, I, I, I just said this way, that, that time period quickly turned into the longest hour of my life. 
So from there, what I did is I did my best. I rambled and I repeated myself. My mind went from here to there. Like it went in and out of consciousness and subconscious monologue, trying to talk to God. Until finally, thank God, somebody in leadership walked to the front. And they closed in prayer. And they sent us off to our study time. And I thought to myself, I survived. (laughs) Right? And then I realized... Uh-oh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be back in this same room at the same time for the same length of time, not only just tomorrow, but for the next nine months. What am I supposed to do? Right, so thankfully, even though I was uh, relatively new to prayer, um, I was determined. I knew God called me to be there. And so for the next couple of months, I still rambled. I still repeated. And my mind still wandered from here to there. I read. I journaled. But, but after a while, I began to uh, you know, get connected to God in a deeper way. And he began to teach me how to pray. And three minutes went to 10 minutes. 10 minutes went to 25 minutes. And uh, you know, I just kept showing up. And over time, uh, I learned how to pray, not just for one hour, but I could pray hours a day. And, and I think what's so amazing is over the course of that nine months, uh, prayer went from being this mandatory obligation, right? You shall be here to one of the joys of my life, right? And so listen, it was during that season, this is kind of my point of why I'm saying all this. I, I learned an irreplaceable lesson about prayer, and that is this, is that we can make prayer a priority in our lives. I showed up 730 every morning. We can even have a place to pray. I had a sanctuary, right? But if we don't know what to pray, about once we get there, then guess what? Then our prayer lives are going to be not as effective and not as fulfilling as we hoped it would be. Can I hear a good amen? amen. So for that reason alone, I want to take the next few minutes to unpack, uh, I want to stress a plan for prayer. I want to unpack a plan for prayer. And I want to give you some practical tools that I hope will help, uh, help all of us in this room connect with God in our secret place, maybe better than what we're currently doing. Now, uh, you know, as I say that, I realize that there's some in here, when they hear the word plan, uh, you you know, you're you're automatically turned off because you prefer a more uh, free-flowing, spontaneous type of prayer. And and I just want to say, if that's you, man, 26 years in, trust me, I get it, okay? So I don't don't do what I'm going to say to you today every day because I've been praying long enough. But but what I want to do is, maybe let me say it this way is even though I may not use this every day, if pastoring 20 plus years has taught me anything about people, is that everybody's not there just to free flow. Like they're not at that level, right? And, and I'll just say it this way, that most people, um, you know, I think probably are very similar to what I was as an 18-year-old Bible college student. They have a hard time focusing. They don't know what to say. They ramble, they repeat, they rush through it, right? They feel stagnant. They recite prayers without being fully engaged in their heart. Or they do this, they, they overcomplicate it so much. When it comes to prayer, they're just frustrated and discouraged. That's kind of who I want to speak to today, okay? Because I want to help you succeed, amen? So, so listen, do this. I want to pick back up the same portion of scripture that we read last week, except today we're going to read a little bit more further in, and uh, we're going to actually hear as we read the plan that Jesus gave his disciples when it came to prayer. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. Remember, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. It says, it says, and when you pray, somebody say when, not if. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. And surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen or as the unbeliever do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you, need, you have need of before you ask him. So that's what we talked about last week. But, but don't miss these next five words. Watch this. Jesus said in verse 9, In this manner, therefore pray. If I can bring it down to modern day language, it's this, pray in this way. So if I can maybe pause here for a second, listen, over the years I've had the privilege of having hundreds of conversations about prayer. I have listened to many, many, many sermons about prayer, right? I've read a number of books on prayer, and I've heard some of the most eloquent, powerful people that I know pray, right? Nevertheless, I've come to this conclusion, like if there's anybody out there that's ever been qualified to instruct me in how I should pray, is Jesus. Amen? So it's like, let's not forget that he is the Son of God, that he is uh, the very one who is God in the flesh. He is in perfect unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So if there's anybody that knows how to connect, it's him, right? Like surely, if anybody knows how to get the job done, right, so to speak, it's him. So, so in my opinion, it would behoove us to lean in a little bit closer and to open up our hearts a little bit wider to actually go, what's he about to tell us? So if we can, my prayer in this moment is that we would hear this for the first time. Okay? So often there's portions of scriptures, we've heard it so much, we just say, okay, whatever. No, 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 no. In Jesus' name, like, let our spirit man come to the front and let us hear it for the first time. Amen? Look at verse 9 again. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now look, many of us in this room, man, we, we know that somewhere along the line in church history, uh, this short prayer has become famously known as what? The Lord's Prayer. Right Now, depending on your church or cultural background, there's a chance that some of you have heard this prayer recited hundreds, if not thousands of times. So like I get it, right? Um, you know, one example for me is when I think about this portion of scripture, I always go back to the opportunity when I had a chaplain. I had the opportunity to be a chaplain of a high school football team. After every game, it didn't matter if the team won or lost, the coach would always, uh, you know, instruct the whole team to go down to one of the end zones, and then he'd tell them, kneel down, and they'd all take one knee, and then they would all say out loud in unison together, the Lord's Prayer, right? Now, looking back, it's kind of funny, because it clearly didn't matter how everyone was acting or talking 10 minutes prior to them taking a knee, right? Uh, you know, it was like, bless God, before we go to that locker room, you're going to Take 20 seconds or you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. So all these heathen kids that didn't know Jesus, right, said this prayer, right? Now, obviously, I believe that the coach had good intentions and his heart was in the right place. But after witnessing that literally week after week after week from, you know, all the way through the season into the playoffs, like, like I couldn't help but to wonder if Jesus had more in mind than just us memorizing and reciting those words whenever it was time to pray. Like, I couldn't help but to wonder, what if Jesus never intended, y'all hear me here, if he never intended for us to just pray what he said verbatim as if it was some scripted prayer for you and I to quote? Or like, instead, I wondered, what if he was really trying to give us this, this outline, if you will, 
a template, a compass, a plan that covered the major elements that we should always remember when we prayed. Like, what if he was simply giving us tools that we needed to learn how to connect with the Father like he did when he prayed? Now, listen, I realize, depending on your church background, that might sound like heresy. Okay, but, but before you label me as a heretic, hear me for a moment, okay? Most of us know, obviously, it's Matthew 6 and it's Luke 11 where we find this prayer, okay? In Luke 11, it gives us a better backdrop of what happened. We know that the disciples were watching Jesus pray, and when it says when he stopped praying, when he ceased praying, that they actually went to him and asked, can you teach us how we ought to pray, right? And so that clearly meant, right, that even though they would have memorized as good Jewish little boys, right, the traditional prayers that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation, that means that when they heard Jesus pray, Something happened that they didn't expect, that they, that they heard somebody pray differently and with more authority and more intimacy than they had ever heard in their life, right? That there was a connection that they had never seen before. And so it's from that spot of what they witnessed that they said, hey, can you teach us how we ought to do this? And that's exactly how, what Jesus did, right? So don't miss this because this is key or you're going to think I'm a heretic, Okay. When you actually study church history, you find that Jesus used in this moment a common technique that, that many rabbis used during that time period. That he provided them with a concise, specific outline that pulled from the entirety of Scripture for them to explore and to expand on as they prayed. Y'all get that? So, so he wasn't doing anything necessarily out of the ordinary. He just taught them the way other rabbis did. And so in doing so, he gave them seven distinct aspects of prayer, if you will. It we'll call it a de- deliberate plan to help them stay focused on the real purposes of why they were praying. So what I want to do for the next few minutes, uh, you know, I understand that there's like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of sermons in this, but, but I simply want to give you little snippets, and I want to, to basically just identify and unpack those seven distinct areas, and, and I want to tell you why they're so essential for your prayer life. And so if you're taking notes, um, it's a great time to write some things down. If you're not taking notes, it's a great time to write things down. All right? So the first distinctive Jesus gave us was, number one, he said this, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, why did Jesus start there? Now, there's loads of stuff talking about the fatherhood of God, sonship. Like, we could could go for hours in that. But, But why did Jesus start there? Let's go foundational here for a moment. The bottom line is he knew that he had come for the purpose of restoring right relationship between God and man. Right? And he knew that... If relationship was going to work, then it was imperative that you and I actually have the right view of God. And so even though the Bible literally gives many, many names to God, like Alpha and Omega, right? The Ancient of Days, the All-Sufficient One, the Creator, the Everlasting King, the Almighty, and so on and so on and so on. Jesus chose the most personal and, dare I say, the most approachable name of all, Father. So the title of Father Listen, guys, this speaks directly to a relationship that's built on love and affection. Not religion, not legalism, love and affection, 
right? It speaks to, to having access to his presence. Not that we have to perform, not that we have to work, but we have free access because what Jesus' blood did for you and I, right? This is a reminder of redemption. It's a reminder that you and I have been born again. Spirit of God lives inside of us, right? And so it shows those things, but it also speaks directly to the Father's willingness to hear his children pray and then to take delight in answering their prayers. It's the Father's heart. Remember, it's, you know, us dads that are in the room, man, we get it, man. Dads are protectors. We're providers. He's those things as well, but much better than you and I. And the biggest difference between him and all of us in this room is he is the source of all things. So there's nothing that our Father doesn't have access to that he can't give us. Amen? So, so listen, there's something else that I love about this. I want you to remember that uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples how he approached God in prayer. So, so that's, you know, that's what made his prayer so different is what, what's divided him and the Pharisees is he came and he said, Father, they didn't do that. In fact, if you remember, I think it's, uh, it's in John. I can't remember the exact address at the moment. I apologize. But, but actually, the, uh, you know, he, he prayed and he said, Father, and the Pharisees heard him. And what did they want to do? They didn't say, oh, teach us that way. They said, oh, we're going to kill you. So that's how, you know, offensive this was to them. So what you and I take in modern-day Christianity as just, oh, yeah, he's Father, Heavenly Father. Okay, no, no, this was like a dividing line at this moment, right? And so, listen, in spite of the, the danger of that, listen, all throughout the Gospels, he never stopped. He kept praying to his Father. And here's the cool part. Through this portion of Scripture, he's inviting us and giving us permission to do the same today. Okay, so once again, our relationship with God, if I can just kind of stamp the point here, our relationship with God must begin with you and I having the right view of him because the right view of him or our view of him determines our approach, right? And so if we view him as some God that's angry, that changes our approach versus if he's a loving father, wouldn't you say? Yes. So on that note, remember this verse, Romans eight fifteen. This was Paul talking. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Good verse, yeah? Second distinctive Jesus taught us about prayer is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now I realize that's not a word that you and I use often, but it simply means this. It means to revere, to bless, and to honor. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying he's your father, but you also need to remember that there's respect that needs to be here, right? And from that, from that position of respect, you need to learn how to worship, right? So listen, the reason I believe this is vitally important to the way we pray is because when we actually honor him, we honor his name, man, it shifts our focus off of us and all the things we want onto him. Right? And when we begin to declare who he is, our hearts not only begin to be filled with awe and gratitude, but I think all those things that concern us, all those mountains that we're looking at, man, those things become really small when you begin to remember who they are in comparison to him. Amen? And so we simply can do this. Listen, this is how I do this. Is when I get to this spot, per se, in prayer, is I just try to remember his name. I try to remember who the Bible says he is. And the reason I do this is because I think actually Jesus was tapping into this verse. Proverbs 18.10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. Get that. The name. Who he is. His character. His nature. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. 
So come on, let's remember that his name is righteous. Can we remember that he is the good shepherd? Like, can we remember he is the healer, that he is the prince of peace, right? He is provider, right? He is Jehovah Jireh, right? He is our protector. Like, when we remember all of those names, I don't understand how people don't get excited. Like, I can't understand, like, man, when I begin to think about that, it's really easy to praise him. It's really easy to stand in awe and worship him. When I remember who he is, man, I have no issues reverencing his name and honoring him. Amen? Amen. So, listen, I believe that also connected to the scripture, when Jesus told us simply to honor the name of the Father, he was reiterating something the psalmist said. you got to remember, we're just getting started. Here's the Father. We're trying to come into his presence. And I think he was connected to this verse, Psalms 100, verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. In essence, I believe Jesus was saying this, guys, that if you want to come into the presence of my Father, it's imperative that you follow the protocol which begins by honoring and worshiping him. Y'all do understand there's a protocol to coming in the presence of a king. Yes, Listen, I have, I have messed up this protocol more times than I can tell you. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times that I have, uh, you know, came into prayer, been carrying things, and, and I don't even say, hi, how are you doing? I immediately just start making the mistake and telling him everything that I need. So I start rattling off my list of everything I want. In fact, I still remember the last time I did it. It was a few months ago, and I was standing about where Skip sat, and I was pacing that part, and I was praying, and I literally heard the Lord go, okay, 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 just stop. And I literally stopped, stood still, and he said, why don't you back up and and let's take a second. Let's start over. Right? And it was this impression that God's like, look, I'm not your wishing well. I'm not a genie in the lamp. I'm not Santa Claus. Look, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a drive through where you can just place an order, right? He, he's like, why don't you try to connect with me from your heart first, and then I'll let you know when, when it's a good time to talk about the things that you have need of. That was the conversation we had right over there. And I kind of was like this. Because I knew better, right? But, but listen, I think... I think as embarrassing as to say that, it's just like proof that God is more interested in connecting with us relationally than he is in just giving us stuff. <laughs> I, I think as parents, we understand this. It's like how many times, you know, have, have my kids busted in the door over the years and immediately begin to ask me for something, to which I reply, it's great to see you too. This has happened many times in my home, right? And I say, hold up, why don't you give me a hug? How are you doing today? You want to ask me how I'm doing? And, and then, you know, listen, it's not because I'm opposed to giving them something or giving them what they want. What, what I'm trying to get across to them is look as that I, as their dad, want connection before a transaction. Right? And, and all I'm trying to tell you guys is God's the same way. Right? That he wants connection with you before a transaction. He's not your wishing well. He's not Santa Claus. He's not a drive through He's not a genie. Man, he, he's a loving father that died to give you relationship. So remember that. Amen? All right, so while it's important, I think, for us to know him as father, I'm just going to stamp the point here. We, we can take that for granted by losing sight of who he is in his fullness. So I think there's a part that you have to remember him in the allness of who he is, God Almighty, right? And so I, I think because of that, God has put, once again, a protocol in place that invites you and me to give him the kind of respect and honor he deserves. Okay, this is why I believe, like I said to you last week, that, that the place of prayer is a place of worship, 
And it's a place of gratitude. We can't forget that. The third distinctive Jesus taught us about prayer is this. He simply said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever considered what those words mean? Like Jesus was clearly telling us that when we come into the Father's presence, that his agenda, y'all hear me, that his agenda and his priority should come before ours. Amen? That's why I try my best to do, and I tell you all this quite often, that I'll come to prayer. I did it this morning, okay? Um, I, I'd say, Holy Spirit, what's on your heart today? Holy Spirit, how do you want me to come in agreement with you? What do you want me to pray about? And then I just pause and I wait, right? And, and so, listen, I do that for a few reasons. I'm going to throw them up on the screen just so you can see it, so you can learn. But, but, but I do it because it, it helps me basically do this, to A, not be so self-centered or so selfish in my prayers. Like God rebuked me a long time ago for just going to prayer and just praying simply for myself. Okay? So, so I try to do this because, because once again, it takes the, my eyes off of me. Second reason, it helps, me, it helps me train my ear to hear his voice. Like I want to remain sensitive to the voice of my father, right? The next one, it helps me acknowledge that his ways are higher than my ways. So if I just dive in and tell him everything I want, I'm not even considering, man, that maybe he's got something better in mind for the day, right? And then the last one, it helps me remain sensitive. And this is what I want to sit on for a minute. It helps me remain sensitive to God's primary agenda. Gang, do you guys know what God's top priority and what his, his primary agenda is? Everybody turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them. Turn to your neighbors. Two words. Say, it's people. Come on, say it like you mean It's people. Okay, everybody, everybody pull in with me for a moment, okay? I know that sounds simple. I'm going to give you two verses that most of us can quote. But I'm going to tell you where it came real to me, okay? I don't think we can forget, because we've been in church for 130 years, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Like, I think we need to remember, let me give you another verse, 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake, the world's sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to have what you and I have. Right? So this is proof, guess what? That God wants every person to be saved, even those we don't know, even those we don't like, and even those we don't agree with. That Jesus died. It's like time for us to get a bigger vision. Jesus died for every single person. That's why he values every single person. So the, the best way I can, I can bring somehow a piece of the heart of God into this moment is I'm going to share your story with you where this came real to me, and I'm going to try my best to do this without crying, okay? It is my family a few years ago was invited to join a couple of other families here in the church for a, a nice, relaxing day out on one of the islands. And, and we were going to eat lobster, we were going to eat, uh, you know, crab legs, and we were going to basically eat all this food that these amazing women cooked. It was, it was a feast. It was pretty awesome. So things were going really good. Uh, the weather was nice. I remember winning in cribbage. The person I beat is in the room. Um, my partner's also in the room. We're playing doubles. So listen, everybody was laughing. Everybody was having fun. It was just pretty cool. 
and, and, I, and I don't know really all kind of how it started. It's a little foggy, but, but I, I know a few of the kids decided to go uh, for a walk down the trail, and, and our youngest son decided to follow them. The only problem was is that they didn't know he was following them. And so they didn't know to wait on him, and he wasn't fast enough to keep up with them. And, and so they did their, their tour, whatever it was, and they came back to the camp, and he wasn't with them. And I just remember, like, basically panic level rising. Basically, we had a lost kid, and it was my kid, right? And that he was lost somewhere on this island. And so Jennifer and I and a couple of other people that are here, man, man we took off running in the direction that the kids came from. Uh, all of us were, were screaming his name, right, in that moment. All right. Like, I got to be honest with you, this is the scaredest I've ever been as a parent, right? Like, I had never been there before. I didn't know how big the island was. I didn't know the terrain. I didn't, you know, I didn't know who else lived there. I didn't know what kind of people that lived there. I've been doing this long enough to know I don't trust a whole lot of people, right? And, and so, listen, knowing that that little boy is so adventurous and sometimes he's not as careful as I'd like for him to be, my, my mind started racing, like I'm running, screaming his name, and I'm thinking in my head, did he fall in the water? He's four years old, he can't swim. Did he fall off a cliff? Am I about to find my son laying on some rocks, dead, right? And, and so literally in my mind, all these possibilities of how he could be injured or dead were running through my mind. I don't know if you've ever been there, right? But I'm thinking this awesome day, is it about to be not a day that I remember not because of the fun we had and the people we were with, but because of some tragedy. And so there was this urgency that was in me and my wife and a handful of other people that were there that, man, we were trying to find my son. Now, thankfully, right, um, he, he was just wandering around on the maze of trails that was there. Uh, you know, he, he, got, he didn't know where he was at, but as he heard us screaming, it helped him kind of reorient, and he knew to start walking in the direction of our voices. And, and when our oldest son found him, the little guy, four years old, three years old, whatever he was, he was crying, he was super panicky, and uh, he was super scared. He was lost, but thank God everything turned out okay, right? So, so, so like a thank you, Jesus, right? Um, because the possibilities there, maybe you see it different, but, but in that moment, it wasn't a fun one for me, okay? But, but here's the point that I want to make to you is that there was never a single moment in the pursuit of my son that I told myself, Quentin, what are you doing running around here screaming like that? You look like an idiot. Like, like what's the big deal? It's only one kid. You, you, you got three more back at the camp, right? They're safe. Three out of four is not bad. 70% is pretty good. 5%, right? 75%, right? So, so listen, the, the truth is, is, is in that moment, guys, I, I never even thought about my other kids. I, I, I never even thought about them, right? I was just so desperate to find Luke, right? And, and so, so I, I just think it's this way. So often, that's how we think. We think, well, I'm safe. My family's saved. We're going to heaven. So what does it matter that we live in a region where 96% of the other people that live in the state are dying and going to hell? Right? Like, I think we need to remember as the church of the living God, man, why Jesus came. It says in Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save 
those who are lost. Like if you can understand when Jesus said, like, like what did he really mean when he said, I didn't come for the healthy, but man, I came for the sick. I didn't come for those who are found and that are already gone. Man, I came for those who don't know what's going on, right? And so listen, with that in mind, like have we ever thought about the urgency that the Father must feel? Right, that like, once again, that there's a world full of lost people, right, that he desperately wants to save, and here we are. Y'all watch. This is a rebuke. We're just disgusted by them instead. Right? Because they don't share our values. Right? And, and I'm just trying to say, of course they don't. They're lost. They're deceived. They're following the God of this age. And so if we could get out of our heads that, we, you know, we're just mad because they don't act like us, you know, maybe we'd have a burden for them. Right? So, so can I just ask you, I know that's heavy, but man, we need to get back to that sometimes. Like, when's the last time that you or I have actually wept over a lost person? Literally, travailed, gut cried about a lost person. Somebody that we know or don't know that they're dying and going to go to hell. That if we really believe in hell the way we say we do, why haven't we? Right? So, so like, when's the last time that you and I actually went to prayer, and instead of praying about all of our needs and all the things we want, that we set all those things aside because there was such a burden to pray for somebody else's needs. That we spent how much ever time praying, never even a thought about what we need because we're focused right there. Listen, if you and I truly want to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to realize that the only way that happens is through prayer. Right? And not selfish prayer, but kingdom agenda prayer. It's not that God doesn't care about our needs. I'll give you a verse in a minute. It says he does. But at some point, we got to say, you know what? There's something bigger than, 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 than if I have money to pay the bills or not going on. Yes? So, listen, let me give you a verse. I'm going to connect the two dots from where Jesus is at to where he's going. It says in Luke 12, 31... It says, he will always give you all you need from day to day. Watch the hinge. Jesus loves words that tells you something, but it hinges on something else. He will always give you all you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Notice the order, right? So, so for that reason, I'm a firm believer that the place of prayer is a place of intercession. It's a place where we stand in the gap of people who will never know that we stand in the gap and we pray and believe that kingdom will come in their life. Amen? Here's the fourth distinctive. He said this. Notice after it was all this, all thy will, thy kingdom, thy, he shifts gears and now he goes, okay, now what do you want to pray about? Number four, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So once again, once we spend ample time giving our attention to the Heavenly Father and praying about things that are in His heart, once again, He will in turn turn to us and ask, okay, now tell me what, what's your concerns? What's your needs? What are things you're requesting? Yep. Y'all tracking? 
So I think it's important for us to know that when he said this, he said our daily bread, he wasn't talking about just the physical food that we eat, right? But, but he's really talking about every physical and every material thing that you and I will ever need. Like, it's covered in this. It's all things. Like, that he literally wants us to ask him for all things. Somebody say all things. So, listen, on that note, what I've realized with people is a lot of times you and I, we don't pray about things that we consider the little things, right? But I want you to know today that I feel like from the heart of God that he wants us to know if there's anything that's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. If there's anything worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. And so, listen, by asking him to give us our daily bread in those areas, what we're doing is we're making the choice to depend on him completely for the big and the little things. So I, I think, once again, we're talking about a rabbi that's trying to connect us with the whole scripture. I think there's a verse that he probably had on his mind, and it's simply this. It's Psalms 121. It says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Let me give you a history lesson. Uh, in Jewish towns or in the Roman towns in that time, up on the hill is typically where the, where the leaders and the government sat. It's where their offices were. And so what Jesus is saying here, okay, what Psalmist was writing about, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was simply saying this, do I look to the government? Do I look to man? Do I look to what people can do to meet my needs? And the answer is no. And then it says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Telling you, life will go a lot better for you if you quit looking to man and you start looking to God. Amen? So I think he was saying like this, if I can give it to you in New Testament scriptures, like my help comes from the giver and the sustainer of life, that my help comes from the one who can do and will do exceedingly above and beyond anything I could hope or imagine, that my help comes from the one who supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, right? So, all right, so with all that in mind, let me just say this to you, okay? I'm just trying to throw some things at you here. God wants you to be super specific, you know, Chris told me a story the other day, and he cried when he was telling me it was awesome. He, he, when he was in seminary, uh, he needed a vehicle that had, what, one vehicle at the time? And he needed another one to get back and forth to school. So, so him and Anna, they prayed, and they, they asked the Lord, Lord, will you please give us a vehicle, right? Would you give us a vehicle? And he said, I don't care even if it's a piece of junk. Give us a vehicle. <laughs> and the next day, he is in the yard, and he's, and he's uh, pulling weeds and his buddy pulls up and he throws him a set of keys and says, hey, me and my wife were praying last night and God told us to give you the truck. And guess what? The truck was a piece of junk. But, <laughs> but it, it, it got him back and forth to do. God answered his prayers and he gave it back for the move it to Maine. He gave it back, right? Gave it back and then moved back to Maine. And my, my, he was telling me a story crying and I just thought, you should ask for a better truck. That's what I said. <laughs> Such a callous individual. Okay, anyways. So, so I think we need to be specific in our prayers. I can give you loads of other stories, but I won't. But, but I think there's something about, man, God cares, so why not get specific? Amen? So, so, and I also think where it says our daily bread, in there it tells us not only how often you and I should be praying. It didn't say weekly, monthly, annually bread, right? So it's a daily bread. But it, I think it, the deeper thing there is also shows us uh, how involved God really wants to be. Like he's in the moment that he's fully present, fully engaged. So, so man, why don't we go to the throne of grace so that we can obtain what we have need of today? Amen? All right, here we go. The fifth distinctive. Y'all doing all right? 
Here's the fifth distinct of Jesus taught us about prayer. Number five, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That, that's twofold. It's dual purpose right there. Okay? And I got to tell y'all, everybody look at me really quick, please. Y'all have heard this so much, we cruise right on by it. And I'm here to tell you, 20 plus years of doing ministry, this is one of the reasons why people don't move forward in the kingdom. Right here. Okay? It's twofold. It's their sin and because they refuse to let something go. They get offended. Okay? Even this morning when I was saying, when I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray about? And he started bringing people's faces up. Several of them is because I knew that I knew in my heart is because their bitterness, their hurt, their pain, and he wants them to move forward. And so that's what I prayed about for them, right? So here we go. It's twofold. The first one is this, is when he said, forgive us our sins. In that spot, Jesus wants us to remain sensitive towards sin. Sensitive. Somebody say sensitive. sensitive. I, man, I've met so many people. It's like they sleep with somebody. They don't care. They keep coming to church, keep worshiping. Like, I'm not talking about somebody married. Be blessed in that area. But, but, but I'm serious. Like, I see people like gossiping, talking about folks. Yeah, I mean, just like obvious stuff. And it's like they're callous. Like, there's no, like, is the Holy Spirit talking to you at all? Like, I, I blow it and I feel about that big. And I, and I just got <laughs> to go repent. Say something stupid, lose my temper, right? Whatever. And, and, so, and so I just think it's this. And Jesus is saying, look, I don't want your, your heart to become callous and hard. And so when we sin, somebody say when. Yeah. Notice it's not if you sin, but when you sin, he wants you to repent quickly so that you can keep your sensitivity and stay in right fellowship with the Father. Some of the most miserable people on the planet are, are people who uh, have sin in their life and they refuse to deal with it. Okay, so 1 John 1, 9 says this, says, but if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Aren't you glad about that? But watch this last part. He forgives our sins and, and he does what? Cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So it's not that we just say, hey, sorry, 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 and we're off the hook again. No, no, the, the goal is that you'd be cleansed of that, that you stop doing it. Amen? So, so with that, I want to give you basically a word of caution like, be careful that you don't allow the prayer for forgiveness to become formality. Right? Listen, the Bible is really, really clear that it, only the sin which is uh, repented and confessed sincerely from your heart, that's what's forgiven. Okay? So, I, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I think there's loads of people that are going to sit in church today across America, and they're going to think that they're squeaky clean before the Lord because they gave a callous, half-hearted, hey, forgive me prayer, and the reality is, is guess what? They're not forgiven. Because there's no true repentance, which means actually to do a 180, to have a heart change and to go in the other direction. So if in your willful sin, get out of it. Right? Like get accountability, stop doing it, and move forward so you can actually have God's uh, relationship and blessing in your life. Amen? All right. So here's the second part, okay? Is, is this, is at the same time, I believe Jesus, when he said, and forgive those, right, who have sinned against you. The bottom line is he doesn't want you and I walk around harboring a grudge or bitterness or resentment. He doesn't want us having feelings of revenge for someone else either, right? Like he doesn't want that. He wants our hearts to not only stay tender with him, but tender with people as well, right? So because of this, the Apostle Paul said, you can read in Ephesians 4, I think it's verse 32. He said, forgive others just as Christ, Jesus, forgave you. 
The bottom line is, is forgiven people forgive people. Right? And so for those two reasons, man, I'm confident that the place of prayer, like every time we go to prayer, it should be a, a place of reflection and a place of repentance if it's needed. Right? In other words, it's a place where you and I are forgiven. Right? But it's also a place where we forgive others. And so I, I think from that angle, you and I don't ever need to be afraid to ask God to search our hearts so that we can be right with him and right with others. Number six, the sixth distinctive, it says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For starters, let me give you something that's really important. It says right there, do not lead us into temptation. Man, let me make clear, that's not, God doesn't lead anybody into temptation. The better proper translation there in the Greek language should be do not allow us to be led into temptation. Big difference. So listen, the Bible's clear that that God, once again, never leads us. He never tempts us. It's, it says clearly that we are tempted by sin when we're led away by our own fleshly desires and by the devil. And so, so we understand the first one. If something's tempting, you quit running around that thing, right? So don't hang around it, all right? You hang around fleas, you're going to get fleas, all right? So um, that was inspired. So um, <laughs> the, the second side, though, the devil, let's, let's look at what Peter said there. He simply said, stay alert. Somebody say, stay alert. Like we need to be aware, guys, right? Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone. Somebody say someone. Someone to devour. That means he can't devour everybody. Who, who, who is he not devouring? Those who are staying alert. Okay? It's like if you watch the Nature Channel. We like watching animal stuff in our family. Uh, man, if you got a lion, you know, on the prowl in the prairie, uh, man, he's not going for the really big, strong zebra. Right? He's going for the sickly one. So it's another reason to stay in prayer, stay prayed up, right? And, and, and hopefully he won't consume you. Amen? All right, so listen, so how do we do this? All right, let me make this quick. Surely you and I know that the enemy is always plotting, scheming, and working to get us to fall into sin somewhere. I don't care who you are in this room, and I don't care how long you've been with Jesus, and I don't care how old you are, he's plotting, okay? So, so listen, the first thing, and really the only thing we can do outside of just living pure lives is we pray. We pray, and, and, and for that reason, I want to make a statement that I hope sticks to you, is that prayer was not only meant to be a place of communion with God, it's also a place of confrontation with the enemy. It's not only for communion, but it's also a place of confrontation. That's where you and I use the authority that Jesus gave us after he rose from the dead, right, to stand up against the plots and the schemes of the devil. It's where you and I open our mouth and we begin to bind his plans, right, uh, that are against us and against his family. It's where you and I open our mouth, right? And we cast down every vain imagination. Am, am I making sense? So, so, so we got to stand. So let me just ask you real quick. Like, like, where do you feel like you're being attacked today? Let me help you. Ready? Like, where do you feel the most anxiety, the most fear, the most worry? Like, where do you feel like you're in bondage? What are things you're trying to stop doing that you keep doing? Like, like, I just want to encourage you, A, reflection. But then secondly, man, don't roll over and just accept it. Right? Like, if, if, a, if a handful of us grabbed you and threw you on the ground and started beating you with sticks, I hope you wouldn't just lay there. Like, I hope you'd get up and fight back. Right? If somebody came in your house tonight and tried to steal everything you own, I hope you don't just sit there on the couch and go, Hey, hey you forgot the TV? To, oh, mama's jewelry's in the back. Yep, underwear drawer. Whatever. 
man, there's things you just make up on the fly, right? There you go. <laughs> Anyways, so I, I'm just trying to say, man, look, like you got to remember to fight the good fight of faith, right? And, and you got to remember that, once again, that uh, uh, the place of prayer is a place of spiritual warfare. Like, let's not forget that, right? The seventh and last distinctive he gave us, and we're going to land this, is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So what's happened this moment? Jesus is basically saying, look, you, you, we need to conclude our time together by you expressing your faith in my Father's ability. That's what he's saying. And, and I love this because, listen, we don't pray along the lines. like we, do, we don't say, right, like, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Like, we don't say that to boost his confidence. He knows who he is. We say that to boost our faith. Right? To give us the proper perspective. And so by doing so, it reminds us how powerful he is, which brings us all the way back to our Father, hallowed be your name. Right? Brings us back to praise. It brings us back to worship. We start in worship. We end in worship. Amen? So listen, if there's a single verse that I think that sums up this distinctive, man, probably the best one I know is Jeremiah 32, 17. It simply says this. It says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand, and powerful arm. And then listen to these next words. Nothing is too hard for you. Man, do we believe that today? Nothing is too hard for you. All right, so let me close it with this. With those seven distinctions of mine, I just want to suggest to you once again that just maybe, maybe, Jesus never intended for what you and I call the Lord's Prayer to be a short prayer that we memorize and quote verbatim as he said it. Instead, just maybe he was giving us an outline, a compass, a template, a plan, a launching pad, if you will, that would help us to expand those thoughts and explore those thoughts and pray into those thoughts to help us stay focused and help us get the, the big topics. So I'm hoping that you free flowers in the room, I'm a free flower, right? I, I go spontaneous prayer, right? Like, like what I tried to do this morning, I, I went, I made myself do this. <laughs> Right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's see how this goes, right? Like, I've done it before. It's not new, but it's been a while, so let me do it again. And I just thought about while I was going through it, man, am I covering all these things in my spontaneous prayer? Right? Like, am I focused too heavily on give us this day our daily bread? And am I forgetting the hallowed be your name? Right? Am I, am I praying against the schemes of the enemy? Am I standing my place in spiritual warfare? And so I think it, it helps our prayer life, if you will, stay more well-rounded and balanced and healthy, okay? And, and so, once again, let me just say this. He gave us a gift. I'm going to go back through it. He gave us a gift of how we could approach him in the right way, our Father, so that we could worship him and partner with him in intercession so that his will would be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So that you and I could pray specifically about our needs, right? Give us to stay our daily bread. Then so our hearts can stay pure with him and others. Forgive us as we forgive others. And then so we can stand up against the enemy. Don't let us be led to temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And then lastly, so we could remember, right? Yours is the power and the glory, right? Forever, right? Remember, all things are possible with him who believes. That's what he's doing. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.